Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining me here this morning. I'm Micah, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine Church in Pasco, Washington. I'm honored to be invited into your home and to get to spend this time together. So today I want to talk story. When's the last time you had an opportunity to tell your life story? You know, that uh, occasion, that opportunity doesn't arise that often in many of our lives. Some of us tell a little bit more story than others. I met with um, a leader of a nonprofit here in the Tri-Cities this last week, and uh, we had almost a two-hour lunch, and a good share of it was just sharing story, the story of a life, the twists and turns where God has led us and where he's leading us now in this season of life. And so today we're going to reflect on the story of a man named Joseph. Now, I will tell you, I spent the last week studying and working here in the story of Joseph, and uh, his life warrants much more than a single session like this. And so I would guess here in the next six months or a year, we'll dive into a series where we go deeper and look at some of the nuances we won't be able to engage today. But for today, I do want to look at the overview. I want to look at the story of a life well-lived, that of a man named Joseph. Now, his story is found in the latter part of Genesis. Genesis 37 through 50 specifically is what we'll be digging in today. That's a lot of chapters. That's a lot of reading, and I'd encourage you to go through all of it uh, and, and spend some time on your own reading and studying this story. Today, we're going to do this uh, as a story in narrative fashion. That means I'm going to narrate I'm going to describe the majority of this very large section of scripture that we're engaged in today. First, the backstory. Uh, earlier in the book of Genesis, we read of God making a covenant with a man named Abraham. God had not given up on this world that had, in many respects, given up on him. Humanity, that is, had given up on God, but God was not done. And so he invited Abraham to a covenant relationship, saying, I will bless you that you can be a blessing in this world. Through you will flow my blessing to this entire world. He makes his covenant with Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac, to which the covenant is passed. And then another, uh, Isaac has a son named Jacob, to which this covenant is passed. And now Jacob uh, is the father of Joseph, who we'll look at today. Now, Jacob, uh, he's also called Israel. Uh, the name is used interchangeably in the text. So Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph, one of the younger sons, is his favorite son. Now, I don't know if you grew up in a household where sometimes you wondered, you know, do my parents like my sibling more than they like me? Uh, that's a weird question to ask, except maybe even more strange is uh, that in Jacob's family, no, it was very clear who his favorite was. Joseph was his favorite, his most loved son. And so Joseph, uh, or, or so Jacob made this beautiful robe for Joseph to signify his love and him being the favorite. He was the one that would get this coat of many colors. You've probably heard it called. So Joseph gets this beautiful coat and he's very proud of it. Now, as you can imagine, the other 11 brothers don't love this very much. In fact, they hate Joseph and they won't talk to him. There's problems in the family, uh, partially because of this favorites game that's being played. Now, one night, Joseph has a dream. And uh, in this dream, he realizes that it's indicating that one day his brothers will bow down at his feet. Now, Joseph, in a very poor character or decision-making process, I don't know what's going on here, he decides to tell his brothers about this dream. Hey, just want you to know I had a dream. 
someday you're going to bow at my feet. As you can imagine, they don't like it very much. Do you, do you have that friend, by the way, that friend that just doesn't know when to shut his or her mouth? You know, they just can't stop talking. It's just flowing out of them and you're just cringing saying, what is happening in this moment? Well, that's Joseph in this moment for whatever reason. He's telling his brothers, I had this dream and someday you're going to bow down at my feet. They hate him even more because of that. Sometime later, the 11 brothers are out grazing their flocks uh, in the surrounding region. For whatever reason, I don't know if we're supposed to notice this, but Joseph isn't out working with the brothers. Instead, he's back home hanging out with dad. And dad sends him out to check on the brothers, see how things are going. And so he does. He heads out. And as he's approaching, as he's still a long ways off, his brothers see him coming. And uh, it's, hard, it's hard to miss him. That coat and all, right? This gore, this beautiful uh, coat uh, is approaching in the distance. And so they plot to kill their brother, Joseph. Now, one of the brothers, Reuben, he tries to save Joseph's life. He says, let's just throw him in this empty cistern. There's no water in there. Just throw him in there. And so they do. And he had intended to come back and to save his brother, Joseph. However, in the meantime, some traders were passing by. And so the brothers said, well, we can be done with this here and now. And so they sold Joseph for 20 shekels of silver uh, into slavery. He was trafficked. Uh, he was taken by these traders uh, as a slave now. The brothers then, they uh, they took um, his beautiful robe and they dipped it in blood and they took it back to dad, to Jacob, and they said, uh, your son has been killed by a wild animal. And the text says that Joseph mourned. He weeped bitterly. He was inconsolable. Uh, nothing they did or said uh, would raise his spirits. He mourned for the loss of Jacob. Now, meanwhile, as he's mourning, Joseph is brought by these traders to Egypt from Canaan, the promised land that eventually, after a long stay in Egypt, the Israelite people will come and take the promised land, the, the land that God had promised to Abraham. But at this point, Joseph, from the promised land, where they're just camped out of small people, some 70 people or something, um, he's taken down to Egypt. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph, which is a strange statement to make when someone is sold into slavery, sitting in a cage. Eventually he gets to Egypt and he's sold to a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's court. Uh, he was the captain of the guard. His name was Potiphar. Now it says that the Lord is with Joseph so that he prospered. And his master quickly saw that he had great success at everything he did. He had a golden touch. Whatever he touched turned to gold. It was just going well. And so in time, Joseph was put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And everything in Potiphar's house prospered because of it. God was working in Joseph and through Joseph, even in this season of life. Now, in time, Potiphar's wife took interest in Joseph. Joseph re repeatedly refused her advances, but in rage, she accused him of attacking her, and Joseph was unjustly put in prison. For years, Joseph will be in prison. Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 through 21 says, While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. Again, an incredibly strange statement. It's going to keep saying this in the text. The Lord was with him. 
I don't know how your theology works. I don't know um, how you understand God's provision and him working for your betterment in life, but it probably isn't much like what we see described in the text here. You know, typically we'd think of God was with Joseph if he was released from prison, but that's not at all the story that's told in Joseph's life. No, for years, Joseph will be in prison, and yet the text says, but the Lord was with him. Well, he remained in prison. Now, in time, uh, the jailer there started to notice his character and his aptitude for success. And so he put Joseph in charge of all of the prison. In time, two of Pharaoh's officials were imprisoned there in the same jail that Joseph is now kind of in charge of. And they both had dreams one night. Joseph interprets those dreams for them. He says, well, to one of them, your dream means that you're going to be released and restored to your high position in Pharaoh's court. And to the other, he says, and uh, your dream, actually, I'm sorry, means that you're going to be beheaded. And it plays out exactly as Joseph interprets the dream. Now, the guy that was elevated back to his high position, he had agreed to, with Joseph. Okay, I'll remember you. I'll tell Pharaoh about you, or I'll try to do something for you. Uh, but of course, he forgets about Joseph. And two years later, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. He has these two dreams, parallel dreams, and we see parallel dreams throughout the story of Joseph's life. Um, but he has this dream where there's these healthy cows grazing, and there's seven of them, and then seven like sickly, unhealthy, disgusting cows come and eat the healthy ones. He has a similar dream in which uh, heads of grain, healthy and full, and then are consumed by some very weak, frail heads of grain. Now, Pharaoh is perplexed. He's confused by and a little bit fearful of this vision. And so he calls all the wise men and advisors in his kingdom together and says, what do these dreams mean? But no one could give him an interpretation to them. This is when that official from Pharaoh's court remembers, oh yeah, two years ago when I was in prison, there was that guy named Joseph. So Joseph is brought to Pharaoh and um, he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. He says it means this, there will be seven years of plenty, of good harvest, of healthy crops, and then that will be followed by seven years of severe famine throughout the entire region. And Joseph goes on to propose a plan to Pharaoh. He says, so here's what you'll need to do. You'll need to build grain houses and store up grain because when the famine comes, not only will you be able to survive, but you will actually become incredibly wealthy as people from different nations and throughout this region of the world will come to you because you will be the one who has grain. And Pharaoh, in this kind of funny turn of events, he turns to his officials and all the wise people in his kingdom and he says, is there anyone in our kingdom that's as wise as this guy? <laughs> and I can only imagine like crickets, awkward silence. And he says, Joseph, you're in charge. So at this point, I just want to pause and look at the roller coaster of a life that Joseph is living. From the favorite in his household, Jacob, his father, loves him the most. And he's got a beautiful coat and a pretty posh existence until his brothers sell him into slavery. He becomes a slave, but elevated in that household until eventually falsely accused and imprisoned for years of his life, at which time he comes in contact with Pharaoh, who then elevates him now back to this high position. 
This is a fascinating roller coaster of a life. And it's hard to kind of imagine how, uh, it keeps repeating, but God was with him over and over again in the highs and the lows, especially in the lows, it's describing God is with him. It's curious to imagine what it would be like to be in Joseph's shoes. You know, there's this strange reality in the text. God never speaks a direct word to Joseph in the text. At least we're not told that he does. So if we play that concept out, now Joseph is hearing in some dreams some things about God and his plan, and he's able to interpret that. So he has that going for him. But in other stories, like with Moses, God appears to Moses in this burning bush, and he speaks to Moses, go and do this. And Moses is like, I don't know if I can do this. And God kind of barters with him and says, okay, I'll send Aaron along with you. Joseph doesn't get any of that as we read this story. As we read the story, he's experiencing these highs and lows, extreme injustice in his life. And yet through all of it, God is with him. And he maintains this steady perspective. He works hard and apparently trusts in God. And God blesses him and the people around him through this posture that he chooses in life. So in the highs and lows, we know this, God was with Joseph. And so he kept walking this journey. Now, years later, as Joseph had predicted or interpreted this dream, a great famine came over the entire region, the land, and uh, people began to starve. They had nothing. And so they would come to Joseph, who was in charge of all the grain houses, and they would purchase the grain from him. Eventually, this famine was bad enough that his family up in Canaan heard that there was grain in Egypt. And so 10 of the 11 other brothers traveled to Egypt. They approach Joseph and they don't recognize who he is and they bow at his feet. You remember that dream that for some audacious reason he chose to tell them, here is Joseph. He recognizes his brothers as they approach and the 10 bow down at his feet. What a strange unbelievable turn of events that has brought about the fulfillment of that dream and that interpretation that he had given. They approach to receive grain and he kind of interrogates them. He accuses them of being spies and he says, well, you'll have to prove to me that you are who you are. I need you to bring back Benjamin. You see, the one brother that was left behind was Benjamin. And this was Joseph's one brother from the same Mother. That is, there's a number of mothers that um, uh, that that had these twelve children uh, with Jacob, and his one brother Benjamin was the one that didn't come along on this trip. So he kind of tricks them into this scenario of bringing back Benjamin. In time, they do bring him back, and there's all sorts of twists and turns in the stories here, but I'm just going to let you read that. We're going to move on to the big picture. In time, they bring back Benjamin, and in time, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. I'm your brother who you sold into slavery to Egypt. He is now second in charge of all of Egypt. And of course, this is a fearful moment, uh, but Joseph shows mercy. Instead of retaliating against the brothers who sold him into slavery, um, he brings them and the entire family to Egypt, some 70 people, where they're set up in a prime region of, of Egypt, and the family prospers for many years to come. So I want to zoom out 
We talk a lot about these stories and the characters in these stories, and it's important to learn from those characters and to get in their head and imagine what this was like. But ultimately, the stories we read in Scripture are much more about God than they are about any individual character. And so we recognize here in the story of Joseph, a God who is orchestrating a remarkable story, twists, turns, and events, but a God who is engaged in the highs and the lows of the story with a purpose. This was a story in Joseph's life that spanned decades, and at any point in the story, Joseph or Jacob or other characters in this story could have given up hope and turned their back on God, but they didn't. And what's most interesting and important is that God never gave up on them either. In spite of the the sin, the terrible things done, God is going to continue to work towards his purposes. And so we turn our attention for a moment from Joseph to our lives, to our plights. If you take a moment to pause and think about your life story, where did it begin? What are the twists and turns, the different seasons of life that you've experienced? What's the season that you're in now in life? You know, are, are you a young adult just out on your own, graduating from college? Are you married? Maybe you have kids for the first time in your life and you're learning to parent. What a journey we're on as our kids grow older. Maybe your kids are out of the house or maybe you're retired. What season of life are you in? As you look back, do you see God's hands in the story? orchestrating, walking with you in the low points, though they might not have gone away immediately, can you recognize God was there? Or or maybe some of us find ourselves in that really low point in our story right now. Can we take some solace, find some peace and hope in the realization that God has not left us? Though the circumstances might be dire, God is with us in this story and in this season. Life will not always be easy. We see that in Joseph's story. In fact, usually life isn't easy, and he had some miraculous highs and some unbelievable lows. In our lives, we have to be reminded it won't always be easy, but God will always be with us. God didn't speak to Joseph directly in this story that we read. And sometimes we find ourselves in that position. We find ourselves uh, waiting for the voice of God in a difficult season saying, God, will you speak with me? And God's presence is all that we have in that moment. Joseph demonstrates the kind of faith it takes to weather that season, to trust, to move forward, even in the silence, even in the struggle. So may we walk this journey that is our life, trusting that God will be God and that God is with us. He is near us as we walk. We walk by the power of the Spirit. uh, and, And the prayer that I have for us as we experience difficult seasons in life is that we would encounter Jesus. In all those messes and all that struggle that we experience in life, that we would encounter Jesus in a very real way. You know, um, Jesus, the Great Commission, towards the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus says these words. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them and baptize them. Go out into the world. And the fascinating thing in the story of Joseph is He never received like a calling to go to Egypt. No, he was sold as a slave into Egypt. 
And yet his life exemplifies, it demonstrates this posture of wherever I am, I will trust in God and engage in the things that he is doing around me. You know, Jesus' uh, story parallels Joseph's story in a fascinating way. You see, the prayer today is that in our journey, as we walk, we would encounter Jesus, who walked in very similar ways to Joseph, who experienced highs and lows like we do in life. It's astonishing how closely Jesus' story parallels that of Joseph. Just to list a few, I could go on and on on the parallels, but to list a few, Jesus was a special object of his father's love, and he was chosen to rule, yet he was hated by his own. They would plot to kill him, in fact. Jesus would be sold for silver, just like Joseph was sold by those closest to him. He'd be stripped of his robe, and he would be treated unjustly. He would travel the most unlikely path to his exaltation, to the high place that God intended for Jesus. Now, in the case of Jesus, that path would involve a cross and dying on a cross. So I want to turn back to the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 uh, is the last revelation I want to take from the story of Joseph. As we explore this idea of a journey, sometimes not knowing what comes next, sometimes suffering through it, Jesus even dying on a cross. In Genesis 50, verse 19, at this point, um, Jacob, their father, has passed away, and the brothers get really fearful. Now that dad's gone, Joseph might retaliate against us. And so Joseph speaks to them. He says this in Genesis 15, 50, verse 19. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended all of this for good, to save many lives. This is a beautiful passage, one worth us reflecting on. And how much more true is this in the life of Jesus? As we parallel Joseph and Jesus, how much more true is this? That in betrayal and all the twists and turns, eventually Jesus hanging and dying on a cross, what people intended for harm to Jesus, God intended good to save many lives. And so we live this life convinced of this. The heart of God is to bring about good. Now, it's possible that in this journey, in those low points, Joseph as a slave or in prison, that it's possible that as we experience those kinds of lows, that, that we find ourselves questioning God's goodness. This is a pretty common question among us. I don't think we have to hide from it. In fact, invite someone you know, another follower of Jesus, to explore these concepts with you. It's easy to question God's goodness when we glimpse only a moment in time and the suffering we're experiencing. But when a story is played out over the course of a life, and we're able to look back and reflect about how God truly was with us in that low point, and how God brought about redemptive opportunities from those low points, we recognize in the life of Joseph, in the story of Jesus, and in our own lives that God walks with us. And we're reminded in this final passage here in uh, Genesis chapter 50, that a life lived sacrificially has the potential to save the lives of many. 
And we're reminded that God is working through the circumstances of our lives to bring about his good plans in this world. We are both recipients of God's salvation and those entrusted to carry it on to people around us. So I'll leave you with this. While the circumstances in life right now might be difficult, you are not alone. Jesus promised to his disciples as he's about to leave earth. Remember that great commission we were talking about, go and make disciples of all nations. And his final statement is, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So like Joseph, even in the suffering, even maybe in the silence, we're reminded that in this crazy journey that is life, we have opportunity to encounter Jesus. Jesus who promises, I will always be with you to the very end of this age. We have hope found in Jesus. God has given us hope and we can walk in that. Let's pray as we close out. God, thank you for this day and this time for your word for the the life of Joseph and the story that we get to read. God, thank you for the things you reveal of yourself in this story. That You are a God who is faithful, who is orchestrating a plan far bigger, convoluted than we could even imagine in any given moment. So God, help us to trust. And God, may we encounter Jesus in a very real way. God, we invite your spirit to work in us to bring peace in times of challenge, to fix our eyes on you in times of success. Uh, God, may we walk with you. Jesus, may we walk with you in this journey of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for being with me here this morning. I hope you have found encouragement in this time together. And we pray that you have a blessed week. Talk with you soon. Bye.